The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's Thursday, May 4th right now, which some people refer to as Star Wars Day. Like, may the 4th be with you or whatever. <laughs> I missed it. Missed it. Well, that was yesterday here. I totally missed that. Do people say that in Australia? Um, like, I've heard of it, but no, not really, I don't think. <laughs> I only really see it online. I actually haven't even seen it that much online today because, I mean, I wasn't online a lot because I was busy, but... The other one is the, it's going to be May, Justin Timberlake, that's been beaten to death. Yeah, I always do have a little laugh over that. It's quite funny. Yeah, now at least it's evolved into being like self-aware where it's like making fun of itself for being annoying. (laughs) Um, So what's been happening? I think I talked about it on the podcast. I didn't even tell you about this yet, really. I think I talked about on here about how the restaurant below me was being a nightmare. Yeah, well, you did tell me that they had some big thing and then they apologized and all that. And they, like, apologized profusely. Yeah. So my landlord texted me and Mike the other day and basically said – and I I knew this. I was like, there's a reason why they're being so nice to me and, like, offering me all these, like, foods and snacks and everything. And just as background info for people who don't remember, the restaurant I live above was having very loud after wedding parties till, like, 2 a.m., which they were not supposed to be doing – and I told my landlord and he told them to cut it out because they're breaking their lease or they're going to get in trouble. So they haven't done it. So my landlord texted us the other day and apparently they had already 15 wedding after parties booked oh for God. the season that they allegedly tried to reschedule to their different restaurants or whatever. But nobody wants to do that because like this restaurant's right across from the venue and it's nice. So they're offering me and Mike for every party that they have. (laughs) Cash or like not a voucher or anything like that? I don't know. That's what I have to figure out still because I was like, I feel like we need a contract. Like, I don't know. I'm just always suspicious. But so they said if we let them do it, it would only be Fridays and Saturdays till one or two in the morning and a manager will be there to make sure it doesn't get like totally out of hand and out of control where it's pissing me off. If it's cash and you do fifteen times two hundred and fifty dollars, that's not too bad. It's like it's like almost four grand. Yeah, so like, I, I like, would absolutely do that for four thousand. I said, but if it's a voucher to the restaurant or something, absolutely not. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think so. Um, so I told my landlord, I was like, okay, we'll do it. We'll accept the bribe, <laughs> but I haven't heard anything else back yet. But you know, you can't turn down a, a passive income in this economy. No, exactly, exactly. Especially so. these days, yeah. So yeah, I knew it though. I was like, there's no way because people book their weddings like so far in advance and they're going to like book an after party situation because I'm sure the wedding venue tells you out at a certain time. Yeah. Yeah. And also probably tells them like, oh, you guys can go like across the street here. Yeah. And I only did it. Not only, of course, I want the money, but because I was like, I'd feel bad for like all these brides and grooms having their shit canceled because <laughs> now you know with my like. wedding coming up <laughs> so hopefully that sends some good karma my way <laughs> good karma for your wedding day and i have a lot of good luck and have an amazing year in the rest of my life 
<laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. So my um dress, hopefully my dress for your wedding is on board today. I don't know if it'll interrupt the podcast if the mailman knocks on the door, but it's on schedule for delivery today. So fingers crossed for that too. <laughs> oh really? Exciting. Mm. What mm. color did you get? Well, I got two. Um, <laughs> I don't know. One I am ninety nine percent sure isn't going to fit, but I really liked it because <laughs> and they didn't have any sizes left, so I just got a size and oh, I'm so for the best. And that's kind of like a blue and pink floral, but the other one is orange, which is different for me, but I really Ooh, like fun. it. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that'll be all right. We'll see. Nice. Yes. I just did my, I just went and did a fitting with my alterations, but they still had to adjust it a little. So still being worked on. Well, that's good. At least you've got plenty of time, hopefully. Yeah. The bustle is like crazy. I feel like my sister's was not this crazy, but then I was also like, as the maid of honor, I don't even think I bustled her dress ever. I think the attendants at the venue did it. <laughs> I, was like, I remember oh. with mine, because I had with my wedding dress, I had a massive train. Like, it wasn't massive, but it was bulky. Like, my dress was lace. I had tons of layers. That's how mine is, too. And then to is. do the bustle, it was a nightmare. <laughs> I remember that. I think, I'm pretty sure mine actually broke on the day the bustle broke. Like, it was so yeah. heavy, it just didn't even hold it up. <laughs> Mine, like, it's not even like a poofy dress or anything, but it just has like the one layer that's beaded and then it has like the layers under it. But the bustle itself has like five different loops yeah, that you have to like put and over you've got it. to do it in order like yeah it's, it's very very technical <laughs> yeah my mom was like I'm never gonna remember how to do this I was like you'll well. sort it out and it's heavy yeah it is absolutely heavy I was like do I need like an outfit change and I was like no 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 <laughs> stop being lazy I remember when I took my wedding dress off because mine was I don't know what the back of yours is like but the back of mine was like the lace up where you pull it tight and like you, it was like a corset type mine has top. like little buttons and um at the end of the day when I took it off oh my gosh it was like I don't know if you've ever had a broken limb but when they take like the cast off and you're you feel all withered underneath <laughs> that was like, <laughs> my body felt like it was in there so tight <laughs> no but I feel that way when I take off like um, shapewear and stuff sometimes. Yeah, 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 exactly. But times a thousand. It was like the most relief I've ever had taking it off. And I didn't even realize, like on the day it was fine. But when you actually take it off and everything just like oh, exhales. <laughs> yeah. One other thing to add before we get on to it, just a peep update. I know we all love a peep update. <laughs> um, she, I swear, after, ever since the surgery, I think it's gotten to her head and I think she's needier than ever. And she's like, obsessed with me she needs to be with me at all times because i think i was giving her so much special attention she's used to it now that now if i'm not with her or she's not with me she's just screaming (laughs) where are you yeah if she's not (laughs) in my lap she's upset in the morning when i'm going to work she's upset (laughs) poor darling like like i'm sorry Pete. maybe if you help more with the podcast then i could quit my job (laughs) (laughs) maybe she needs her own podcast (sighs) that's what she thinks (laughs) Yeah, so if anyone's cats are getting surgery, dental things anytime soon, just like don't spoil them too much, I guess. <laughs> don't get them used to it. Yeah. Did you want to talk about Casey White quickly? Because I bet everyone forgot about that case like me. <laughs> I know. And the actual update came out of nowhere. Like I, we, did an, um, we did an episode on Casey and Vicky White. They were kind of the uh, prison employee who escaped with the prisoner. There was a big police chase and she ended up dying from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. It was a very um, was high profile at the time. Esque. Yeah, absolutely. Like unbelievable. It's I'm sure it's going to be a movie one day, but there has been an up- <laughs> Um, an update that he, Casey White, pled guilty today to the escape charges and that basically he will spend the rest of his life in jail. I was just saying I don't really know why he bothered to plead guilty if he's still absolutely going to get life in jail, but I guess he just didn't want to go through the whole legal process of, you know, 
whatever again. So, yep, pled guilty in jail forever. Not surprising. I wonder if they would have tried a to final get outcome. If it went to trial, if they would have tried to like get because people always speculate, was it a suicide, a murder yeah. of her? It was actually interesting today because a journalist tweeted today that he had pled guilty to murder, and I'm like, what? But oh. then anyway, then he changed it, and it was just to the escape charges. Oh, what a mistake! So, yeah, if you saw that, that's what was going on with that. Basically, not murder, just escape charges. I feel yeah. like that is probably the end of that story, unless he finds another female prison employee to seduce. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Right. It's like he can't even be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I like. I guarantee they surely are monitoring his his involvement with prison work is cl- more closely than they would have before. Yeah, but it was just funny because before we were recording, Olivia said to me like, oh, Casey White pled guilty. And I was like, who's Casey White? (laughs) (laughs) I just like, even when I think back about that story, like how she sold a whole house, packed up a whole house. I'm like, is that even real? And ran away to be with him. Like it's it's, it's like it's weird fever dream. Did that actually really ever happen? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. It's crazy. Yeah, our Madeline episode came out today. So I hope everyone is into that one. Um, We've had a few people commenting and saying things like, like this is just an example. It was the husband and, you know, like they, people send us information. But the thing is, just for example, that message of it's the husband, they weren't married as far as we know, as far as public record tells, they weren't married. There's so much kind of back and forth and gossip. gossip. and t- Yeah. So if you've heard something that we didn't mention in the episode, it could be true, but we didn't include it because we can't verify a lot of it. Um yeah, like some you were saying, some people are saying that he did have a car. Yeah, but by everything I've seen, there was no other cars mentioned. So yeah, and I've also heard things like she had another partner and she was leaving the house. Like, but again, Just all the usual gossip. <laughs> yeah, it could, it could be true, um, but you know, obviously, I'm sure as the case progresses, we will learn more about motivations, why things happened. But at this stage, she's still missing, which I am probably still a little bit surprised about i feel like she will be found soon like maybe i this comes out yeah maybe but as of the time that we're recording this next episode she is still missing but yeah so just as a note pretty much we always try to only put out verified information and if it's not we always specifically say like this is what people are saying this is gossip this is rumor like we never want to put out any gossip or rumor and have people like thinking that it's a fact um yeah because you see that online a lot especially like in the facebook groups and everything like one person will comment one thing that they heard but like someone else will take it as a fact then someone will go bring that to another group as a fact and then people are telling us that it's a fact it's hard to when you are communicating with people generally via text as in like words so it's hard sometimes to get the tone or if someone writes something that they um mean in one way, it's easy for someone to kind of run with it and do like take another meaning from it. So a lot of the time it just happens due to miscommunication, I think. Um, you know, the perfect example, actually, that um, the bride and groom that were just killed from the girl that was drinking and driving, um, she was arrested in 2018. But the only thing that the arrest says was that it was like a hit and run. She hit a car and left. But everyone's saying, I probably started out with people being like, oh, she was probably drinking and driving then too. That's why she left. I wouldn't post that she was drinking and driving then because it didn't say that. That's all it said was that she hit a car and left. 
But then people are messaging me being like, she got, that's not her first DUI either. She's gotten more DUIs. So I tried so hard to look and look and look to see if she had any other DUIs. There's nothing I could find, but I'm seeing people left and right saying like, she's gotten multiple DUIs. She's gotten many DUIs where I think people are just assuming that some of her other incidents involve drinking, which they very well could have, but like, I can't prove that. So I'm not going to like post it as if it's a fact. Yeah. It seems too with Madeline's case, especially, there is just a lot of that. There's a lot of local chatter, a lot of local gossip. This is what I heard. This is what's happening. Whereas a lot of it just isn't verifiable. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like I like hearing about gossip and like what people think and what locals are saying, but like, I just, I'm not going to like post all that. I get frustrated sometimes when people message us stuff like the, that she's had multiple DUIs as if it's a fact and we're like shitty for not posting it. But, like, I can't just be doing that. <laughs> and even in today's case, which is kind of a good intro. Yeah, I, I was going to lead in with that. <laughs> there's a lot of gossip in this case. Um, we've had, even before we've even recorded, we've had a ton of messages stating things as fact, which maybe isn't fact or we can't verify it anyway. So um, something to keep in mind when you listen to this episode for sure. We're going to talk about um, the case going – I guess the pretrial hearings are going on right now. It's the case of John O'Keefe, who was a Boston police officer that was found dead, allegedly accidentally run over by his girlfriend, Karen Reed. It's a big conspiracy. So we're going to go through the story as like the main timeline that was out first and the main facts that we were given – Basically, the controversy with this is a lot of people believe that it's a police cover-up situation because some of the people involved are their family is very involved in the police department. Like some of them are police officers, like important police officers, and some of their family is like in political stuff. So a lot of people think that this was some sort of cover-up. So we're going to get into all that. But like we were saying, there is tons of gossip and drama with this case we're not gonna really get into all of that we've tried to kind of stick to speaking about people who haven't been made public in court documents there's a lot of alleged people who may also be involved if it is a cover-up but a lot of them haven't been named publicly yet by law enforcement or attorneys and things like that so I feel like still it's important for us to like at least try and remain impartial, especially if those people haven't been named publicly, except by online, you know, bloggers and journalists and things like that. Yeah. So we're going to go through the background, the events of that night, and then we're going to go through the timeline and information that was originally out when the arrest was made. And then now that this is in like pre-trial hearing stuff, the defense has kind of rebuttaled some of that stuff. And so we'll get into that after, which might change people's opinions on things. So... I feel like that was the best way to go through the story. And at the end, we'll talk about some theories and other things. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people in the area where this happened who have a lot of very strong opinions and know a lot about this case. But then there's also people who it's it's quite flown under the radar Yeah, for anyone else who's not local. So what we've tried to do is kind of give an overview for people starting from, you know, enough information for people who don't know anything, but enough information too for people who know a lot about it to kind of give a refresher or an overview of the whole case. Yeah. So if you're deep into this case, cut us some slack. Don't yell at us. Um, I did do a lot of reading today. If you are someone who 
wants to really like do like a really deep dive on all the local gossip and all that stuff, there is a blog by Turtle Boy that we'll link in our blog um, for people who really want to get deep into it. He's done like at least 17 parts to I this blog. I think it's 20-something like now. Yeah, it's a lot. Like it's very, very comprehensive and there's a ton of links and information in there. So if you want to check it out, that's a repository of information. Yeah. All right. So that being said, now that we have prefaced enough, we'll get into it. This case has gotten quite a bit of attention and both sides had a lot of supporters in court today. She's an innocent woman, falsely accused, period. The defense raising doubt about the case against Karen Reed. Her boyfriend, Boston police officer John O'Keefe, was found dead in a snowbank last year outside a home in Canton. Her lawyers say O'Keefe was attacked by a dog and beaten at the home, which is owned by another Boston police officer. This is uh, the very epitome of a fishing expedition. I think we've established this is not just fishing. We got a fish on the hook. We just need the, the, the court to help us reel it in. Prosecutors dispute defense theories and say Reed backed into O'Keefe with her SUV after a night out with friends at bars. The medical examiner determined he suffered multiple skull fractures. She details uh, that she observed no signs of an altercation or fight uh, from her thorough internal and external examination of Mr. O'Keefe. This is one of those cases that can be hard to sort out. New Center 5 legal analyst Martha Coakley says the case is complicated, and she says the defense is making convincing arguments to get more access to evidence, which they say will prove Reed was framed for murder. They are doing their job, and so in the end, this should be decided, not on the news or in the public, but by a jury. So the defense making a number of allegations here, but no one else has been charged in this case. The next court hearing is coming up later this month. Live at Norfolk Superior Court, John Atwater, WCVB News Center 5. So the two people, the two main people who are involved are John O'Keefe, he's the dead one, and his girlfriend, Karen Reed. So John died on January 29, 2002, and he was 46 at the time of his death. He was born and raised in Braintree, Massachusetts. He attended Braintree High School and later Northeastern University. He then went on to earn his master's degree in criminal justice from UMass, and he'd been a Boston police officer for the past 16 years. John was the legal guardian of his niece, Kaylee, and his nephew, Patrick. The children's parents died like a couple months apart in 2013 and 2014. Kristen Furbush, the mother, died from cancer in November 2013, and the husband, Stephen, was 39, and he died in January 2014 from a heart attack, which is freaking Yeah, I just don't even awful. know sometimes how some families can recover, like, and then to have all this happen now, it's just a lot. Yeah, right? I didn't even think about, like, all of this new stuff on top of it, because he was basically, like, their new dad. Yeah. Or- well, they've said now essentially they've lost three parents because mm-hmm. both their original biological parents died and now their guardian died. So, and those, they're still young, like they're teenagers, early, you know, early tweens and a teenager. So, yeah. Yeah. So at the time that John died, they would have been 14 and 11. So that's like so traumatic and awful. I feel terrible for them. And even um, when you think about it too, John was their carer for longer than their biological parents were there were around so Mm. yeah it's that's essentially they probably would have remembered John just based on the ages when their parents died they would have remembered John more so than their 
parents. So just I don't know if they have any attachment to Karen, but they're as of right now losing her as well. Yeah. Well, she did like they did live together, her and John. So I'm assuming there was some type of parental role that she played um, as well. Yeah. So very sad. So Karen was 41 at the time of John's death. She worked as a finance lecturer at Bentley University in Massachusetts, and she was also an equity analyst at Fidelity. According to her LinkedIn profile, she studied at Bentley University and graduated from Elkin B. McCollum Graduate School of Business. So she's a very smart, put-together woman, it seems like. She's not just like some trash on the side of the road. Just to give you like an idea, if you haven't seen what they look like, it doesn't really matter. But just to add to the story, she's looks attractive, like, you know, looks professional, looks well put together. He is attractive as well. Yeah. (laughs) They always use headshot in the articles now. But yeah, like they seemed like a very nice, you know, attractive couple. Yeah. Average couple. Like, you know, yeah. Just to give you an idea of what the background to this is. So we'll get into January 2022 now. Um, Around mid-January, John's niece Kaylee heard him talking to Karen about their relationship. He apparently told her that he thought their relationship had run its course and that had become unhealthy. By that point, the couple had been seeing each other for around two years. um, And before that, the couple had been on and off again, it seems. Friends and family have said that Karen and John argued frequently. And we've read that the couple were living together at the time of John's death. Um, The prosecution in this case have released a detailed timeline of what happened prior to John's death. So that's where we're going to start. So like I said, this is from the prosecution. So and then later we'll get into the defense's rebuttal on some of the things. So on Friday, January 28th, 2022, John is seen at 7.37 p.m. on CCTV, arriving at C.F. McCarthy's in Canton, Massachusetts, according to the venue's bio. They are a classic Irish pub focusing on fresh food, craft beer in Canton Center. Karen can be seen on CCTV arriving at the same venue at 8.51. The prosecution then go into the timeline of Karen's drinking, saying that between 8.58 p.m. and 10.22 p.m., so around 90 minutes, she consumed six drinks. Like, I'd be wasted. <laughs> Depending what they were, at least, I guess. She, I've read that she was drinking vodka sodas. So oh, yeah, I did see that. I don't too. know if that was the whole time, but I feel like majority of the time she was drinking vodka soda, which is yeah. what I drink when I go out to. So at 10.40 p.m., John and Karen can be seen leaving the venue. Karen was holding her final drink from the venue as she left. They then went to Waterfall Bar and Grill and arrived there at about 10.54, and they met up with some friends here, Jennifer and Matthew McCabe. The McCabes were more John's friends, and they apparently, like Karen and them, didn't really know each other. So at 12.10 a.m., same outing, but now this is Saturday, January 29th, Karen can be seen leaving the Waterfall Bar. John follows behind her carrying a drink. They start walking together towards Washington Street. At 12.14 a.m., John texted Jennifer, the friend, and said, where to? She replied to him with an address on Fairview Road. Um, Basically, they were having like a little after party party. get together there at someone's house. At 12.15, a vehicle that matched the one that Karen owned was seen on CCTV driving past Canton Town Library. Um, The address of the house is 34 Fairview Road. So the owner of the home is a man named Brian Albert. He is a Boston police sergeant and part of the fugitive apprehension team. And his wife, Nicole Albert, is Jennifer McCabe's sister. So that's how they're connected. Jennifer is John's friend. 
So they're going to Jennifer's sister's house. Her husband is a police sergeant for the Fugitive Apprehension Team. And he's like a, a big deal, apparently. He was on some TV show called Boston's Finest that followed around cops. And that I've whole read family too, is very he's involved. Like an MMA fighter. So he's yeah. a very fit, athletic person. Tough guy. It does. I said to you too before we started recording. This kind of reminds me a little bit of Tamla's Tamla yeah. Horsford's case. There's a lot of people. It can get a little bit confusing. So if you are unsure, I'll put it all in the blog so you can go back and say, "Oh, yeah, that's this person. That's this person." Yeah, and I'll try to like preface who everyone is as we go. So basically, to recap, so far they're going to an after party get together with his friend, with John's friends, Jennifer, at her sister's house. The husband is like a big deal police officer. So at 12.18 a.m., John called Jennifer to ask for more specific directions to the house. At 12.31 a.m., Jennifer texted John saying hello. At 12.40 a.m., Jennifer sent another text saying pull up behind me. So it seems like her vehicle's in the driveway and she kind of saw them pull up and was telling them where to go, like to park behind her. So then she said she saw Karen's black SUV move from where it had stopped near the driveway to the far left side of the property near like a flagpole and fire hydrant. So she sent another text at 1245 saying hello. At this point, the black SUV drove away. Like no one, they didn't get out of the car or anything Jennifer believes. So it seems like there's a fair bit of activity at the Fairview Roadhouse that morning. Between 1.30 a.m. and 2 a.m., another person got a ride to the house and indicated that she thought she saw something she described as a dark object in the snow by the flagpole, but wasn't really sure. It's like, why didn't anyone go look? But okay. Maybe she was saying that like in hindsight, I guess. At 4.53 a.m., Karen. So Karen went home. Karen, the girlfriend. At 4.53 a.m., she calls Jennifer, the friend, saying that John hadn't been home. She was looking for him. Um asking if anyone knew where he was. So at 5 a.m., Karen called another friend. She said that John didn't come home and she was worried. According to the prosecution, Karen told her, I wonder if he's dead. It's snowing. He got hit by a car. I mean, he, he could have got hit by a plow. It seems after this, Karen left her house to retrace her steps. Her SUV can be seen on CCTV heading towards the waterfall bar at 5.11 a.m., it can be seen at various spots around town between then and 5.30 a.m. And also, just to go back a little, I kind of, I left out when Karen called Jennifer. She said that the last place that she saw him was at the Waterfall Bar since he never showed up at the Apparently house. Apparently went into the house, yeah. Yeah. So that's why then Karen leaves, goes like back to the bar to kind of retrace their steps and see what she can find out. At 5.30, Karen arrived at the home of Jennifer and there was another woman there named Carrie that was one of the friends. They said that Karen was hysterical by that point. Um, they drove Karen back to John's house. Well, one of the women drove Karen back to John's house while the other followed in a separate vehicle. Um, they said Karen was like too hysterical to drive her own car. Uh, Karen asked one of the women, could I have hit him? And then proceeded to mention that the taillight on her SUV had been cracked. When they got back to John's house... Even I get confused and like I know this. I know. It, it seems like basically there was a whole lot of back and forth. So I guess they went to drop the car off and then they all left again to go in and look. So yeah, it sounds like reading between the lines that she was in no state to be driving. So they're like, let's go and drop the car off and then we'll keep looking. Yeah. And so then when they were dropping the car off, Karen showed the woman the, the damage to her taillight and then they all got into one car to go and look for John some more. 
So apparently it was snowing pretty heavily at this point. It was snowing the night before, too, in that there was poor visibility. When they arrived back to the Fairview Road residence, Karen immediately saw John laying in the snow. So this is back at the house where the party was that night. And they saw John laying out in like by the road in the yard in the snow. The other woman said that they couldn't see due to the poor conditions, but Karen had seen him. Um, so at 6.04 a.m., a 911 call was made reporting that John had been found in the snow. A police officer arrived and saw three women in the front yard. Two of the women were doing CPR on John. The officer said that John was cold to the touch. He was not breathing. The conditions at the time had, had been described as dark and blizzard-like. I mean, they were out looking at like 5 a.m., so it was probably still dark, um, 6 a.m., just sun's probably just maybe starting to come up not probably not even in january actually yeah um a canton firefighter who responded to the 911 call said she witnessed karen telling her friend repeatedly i hit him i hit him i hit him when he was found john was bleeding from his nose and mouth he had deep cuts on his arms swollen eyes and a fractured skull and he was pronounced dead at 7 50 a.m at 908 a.m karen had her Blood tested at Good Samaritan Medical Center. A forensic toxicologist said it revealed her blood alcohol content at that point was still 0.07, 0.08, and opined that around the time of 12.45 a.m., her BAC would have been between 0.13 and 0.29. So she was probably um, pretty drunk the night before and drinking and driving, which is never good. So it says... Between 0.25 and 0.29, so they're saying 0.29 probably would have been the max. the max. It says, all aspects of your brain are severely impaired. You may have passed out by this point. Vomiting is likely and the chance of asphyxiation on, asphyxiation on your own vomit is increased. If you haven't passed out, the risk of personal injury is high because you have little to no physical control. You are emotionally numb. What's point like thirteen, the lower end? I feel like they're well, giving us like a big span. <laughs> it's weird because like this 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 website that I'm reading from, um, it's from a Saint sorry Saint Benedict and Saint John's University. It says they go kind of in groups, so it says point eight to point thirteen. It says your motor skills start to become impaired and your sense of balance may be compromised. Your emotions become a bit exaggerated, perhaps loud, perhaps aggressive. It is dangerous and illegal for you to drive. Um, you, you believe you are functioning better than you actually are. So it is a big buzz to waste it. Yeah. So police arrived to the home of Karen's parents at 4.30 p.m. that day, and they found her black Lexus SUV parked with the shattered light, and her car was seized then by Canton PD. Two pieces of red plastic taillight and one piece of clear plastic taillight were found by Massachusetts State Police Special Emergency Response Team members who dug through the snow. Prosecutors said the plastic was consistent with broken pieces of Karen's vehicle. John's cell phone was analyzed by the Massachusetts State Police, and they said their forensic extraction of the call logs, voicemails, and text messages between the victim and the defendant, including the date of January 28th to 29th, detailed strains within their relationship, the victim's desire to end the relationship, and the defendant's description of their relationship with them and the two children together as toxic. Hi, people. An autopsy was conducted on January 31st, 2022 by the office of the chief medical examiner the doctor opined that the extensive injuries to his head likely rendered mr o'keefe incapacitated the doctor further opined that upon viewing mr o'keefe's injuries and her examination of the body she observed no signs of mr o'keefe being involved in any type of physical altercation or a fight which is interesting because they all said there was like cuts all over his body 
yeah. his before anyone rages sworn. and they're like that's not true we're, we're gonna speak more about the autopsy a bit later yeah like any of the stuff where there's rebuttals by the defense yeah. we're gonna get into it this is basically chronological what what was known at that time yeah on February 1st, 2022, crime scene technicians examined Karen's car. They confirmed that her backup camera was working and it alerted the techs when it was approaching a dummy. So, you know, like in a lot of cars now and you back up and there's something close to you, it starts beeping. Yeah. Um, a human hair was also found on the rear of the vehicle. Police also reviewed CCTV footage on this day from both bars that the couple visited. Around this time, Karen was charged with manslaughter leaving the scene of a motor vehicle collision causing death and motor vehicle homicide in connection with John's death. Karen's attorney, David Yanetti, said in February 2022 that manslaughter is a tremendous reach in this case. He argued that she did not have any criminal intent and was left devastated with the incident. said, I will tell you that my client has no criminal intent. She loved this man. She is devastated at what happened and she is innocent and that will come out at trial. David, the attorney, argued that her bail should be reduced to $5,000 and gave reasoning that she had many medical issues, including a brain tumor, MS, and colitis. It was also said that Karen had dropped John off at the party and she did not go in due to her medical issues. I've read she apparently had an upset stomach or something on that night, so she decided that's what her story was for apparently not going into the after party. Yeah, sometimes your social meter just runs out. <laughs> Especially after that many drinks. Like, I would be in bed by that time if that was me. <laughs> I saw it was written somewhere that she said, like, in an interview after the fact that she wasn't feeling good, she was tired, she didn't really know any of the people there, and that she was 40 years old and didn't go to didn't need to go to an after party. Yeah. And I was like, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the judge said that Karen had plenty of reason to flee, and he rejected the plea. She was released on $50,000 bail in February 2022. She was indicted in June 2022, and the Superior Court set the bail at $100,000, which ended up being lowered to $75,000. I feel like that's still pretty high for something that was, like, the way that's being framed now was like an accident. And as we've been going, like, as we've been going through, it is crazy that she was charged so quickly like she was charged with well, his, like no his death really. yeah they were like a broken taillight that's it like I've, i'm as far as i can tell there was no like blood on the car there was no like i don't know it's very quick which i guess we'll get into in a minute anyway and then you got like adam fravel and madeline's case who's He's still, still out, out six weeks later out. yeah if that was him in this situation he would be arrested right away mm. So basically what we believe is that Karen has been out on bail. So we're now just over almost 18 months, I guess, since this happened. So she's been out on bail for a lot of the time. Um, over the past few weeks, there has been a lot of media attention in this case, and we have learned a lot more about what has kind of you know happened since then. It gets messy. This is where it gets really messy. So we have learned some information about John's cause of death. The ME listed his cause of death as blunt impact injuries of the head and hypothermia. However, in April this year, they said that the manner of his death could not be determined. So cause and manner are two different things. There are five possible manners that will be listed on a death certificate. There's suicide, accident, homicide, natural, and undetermined. So basically, I'm assuming in his case, the three... even four, I guess, like suicide. Did he jump in front of the car? Probably not. Accident, homicide, and undetermined. So his was undetermined. Just interesting that they couldn't establish that. 
In the same month, April this year, Karen's defense team released information that they said, quote, must reverse the trajectory of this case. So there's a whole document online. I think it's around 25 pages. You can view it. We'll put it on our Instagram and on the blog. But basically, they've dropped some bombshells, I think. Um, Before going to what the defense says, I'll say, as me not knowing the story, just like reading along, after going through all the stuff that we just read, I was like, it's totally Karen. Like, hello. Yeah. Even though I did think it was a little quick, like you were saying, and they really didn't have much evidence against her. But then now the story like totally changes. Yeah. And you also have to wonder, like, I don't want to get off track, but you know, if she hadn't said things like, did I hit him? I could have hit him. It would have been less, like if she was adamant that she didn't, I feel like it wouldn't have been as quick. I feel like that idea was like put in her head maybe and she was kind of she was obviously drunk yeah and then maybe she was just like oh my god like did I do it like yeah and we don't which, also, yeah, like, definitely didn't work in her favor maybe we'll discuss it at the end because I don't want to get ahead of it'll make more sense I know, it's we'll hard to talk about all this. our <laughs> thoughts as we go in this one because you know like we know the whole story <laughs> yeah so basically the defense have said that they have analyzed Jennifer McCabe's cell phone. So Jennifer was the person, just to recap, who John was messaging about the after party where she's like, hello, pull up here. She was basically in conversation with John most of the night. She'd been at the bar with John and Karen before they went to the after party. Mm-hmm. Um, according to cr- computer forensic expert Richard Green, she Googled, and this is, I'll read it out exactly how she spelled it because she did spell it incorrectly. It says, Hos, H-O-S, long to die in the cold. So I'm assuming, we all assume that means how long to die in the cold at 2.27 a.m., which is exactly two hours after he was seen getting out of the SUV and apparently walking towards the house to enter for the after party. So the defense also are alleging that Jennifer deleted all communications that she had with Brian Albert, who was the homeowner, around the time of John's death. So the police who investigated the death did do a forensic report and neither of these kind of instances were reported in their forensic reports. They left out her Google search. They left out the fact that she had deleted all the communications. None of that was in any of the official reports about John's death. And remember, Brian, the homeowner, is like a a favored police officer. Yeah. So the defense said that they uncovered significant steps to delete and to tamper with evidence. And they said that the Google search does clear Karen and it implicates Jennifer and Brian in the murder of John. They said, in spite of the fact that O'Keefe was found dead on the front lawn of Boston police officer Brian Albert, a highly trained boxer and fighter with a deep familial and personal tie to the Canton Police Department and Massachusetts State Police, law enforcement has utterly failed to treat Mr. Albert and his family members who were present on the night as suspects. So it also goes into details of the Google search and asks the court to summons, issue summons to Brian as well as to phone carriers for details for call logs, location records, and data for the phones used by Brian and Jennifer, which I'm actually so surprised that this hasn't been done yet, but anyway. Because it's a cover-up. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Um, specifically, the motion requests all cell phones in the possession of or used by Brian between January 28 um, and February 5 to be examined. They also want to look at his cloud-based accounts um, and any access codes and passwords for kind of any other electronic devices. And at this point, Brian was like never even interviewed by police or anything, apparently. And I feel like it should be a thing. If it's your police officer and a crime happens like In your area, yeah, with other. Your friend police officers shouldn't be the ones like investigating it and asking questions. Like you should have to excuse yourself. And I feel like too, there was obviously a lot of 
things going on that night that they don't want to be in public. It seems like a lot of them were drink driving, you know, it's underage like, drinking, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So like there were things going on that they probably, I'm assuming did fairly often because this seems like it wasn't an out of the ordinary event, but yeah. So I feel like that's probably why they tried to keep it on the download because they knew that they were in the wrong for a lot of other things too. So the defense did try to get phone data from everyone who was at the gathering at 34 Fairview Road, but that was denied. Karen's attorneys made a statement at this time. They said, today is a turning point for Karen. Finally, the truth has come out. As we stress in the motion, there is simply no innocent explanation for Jennifer's search at that time. David Unetti, the attorney, said, we've spent 15 months trying to uncover the truth. We are not afraid of whatever evidence is unearthed from whatever source because for 15 months, every stitch of evidence has been consistent with my client's innocence. So since the defense have issued these documents, the prosecution has rebutted some of it. This information is from early May 2023, so just the last few days from wcvb.com. It says, when the defense said its expert found a search for how long to die in the cold was conducted by Jennifer at 2.27 a.m., the prosecution says evidence, though, proves the iPhone was being used to browse a youth basketball website at the time. Prosecutors did say that Karen twice told Jennifer, how long do you have to be left outside to die from hypothermia as they were kind of driving around looking for John? In this situation, both things can't be true. You can't be Googling how long to die in the cold. And the iPhone, like the youth mm-hmm. baseball website. Why? So, like, can Ooh. someone just get us the facts here? Yeah. So can, this this is also like this next point is also something that cannot be true. But there's two sides to this story. So Karen's attorneys used the health and location data from John's phone to try and prove that he did go into the Albert house that night. They said that the health data showed he was climbing stairs in the house between 12.21 and 12.24 a.m., which kind of would have fit in with Karen's timeline of dropping him off and leaving. I did have a look at the house online. It is two stories. There are stairs. Um, I also found it interesting that the house did sell in April this year, so they have (laughs) sold it and left. But the prosecution say this info isn't accurate as John was also using the phone to navigate to the house and he didn't get to the house till 12.24 a.m. So there's no way he was there three minutes earlier climbing up the stairs when his GPS data apparently shows that he didn't get to the house till 12.24. But what time? What time were the texts? Just want to scroll back. Um, Twelve eighteen. There was John called Jennifer to ask for more directions to the house, and she sent him another text at twelve thirty one. So twelve fourteen was a text. Twelve eighteen was a call between John and Jennifer, and then she sent him another text at twelve thirty one saying hello. And at twelve forty, she said, "Pull up behind me." I I feel like that is an interesting point because what happened probably didn't happen within the first few minutes of him arriving there and he wasn't there by let's say 12:20 if that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like there has to be hard facts. There has to be at least for the phone data. Like okay, the phone was here, he clearly had his GPS and his, you know, find my phone or whatever on. So that that should be able to prove definitively where he was at that time. Yeah. And I feel like I know that I've seen that it did like count his steps and stuff, but I don't know how accurate it was because he, I don't think he had like a Fitbit or anything like that. It was just his phone. Your phone in his pocket or whatever. Yeah. Um, so the defense has also kind of rebutted the findings of John's autopsy. They have said that he suffered numerous defensive wounds on his hands consistent with a brutal fight. So they're kind of leading into the scenario that John was likely beaten to death 
inside the house and his body was dumped outside. They are also saying that Brian Albert's dog, who was a German shepherd named Chloe, may have attacked John at one point and that can account for some of the injuries. So the scenario that I've seen kind of discussed online is that there was a punch up between John and Brian and maybe one other person that we'll get into and that a dog obviously defended the homeowner and started attacking as well. Yeah, that's what that's like the theory I was mentioning, but we didn't talk about the other person yet. So I'll wait till then. So interestingly, the dog was rehomed out of state. I believe it was four months after John's death. They said they did this because it apparently bit someone else and broke skin. So they rehomed the dog. The defense have said they want to test the dog's DNA against John's autopsy samples. So there are autopsy photos of John online um, if you want to have a look. There's a photo that I've seen of him kind of lying on his back so you can see the bruising to his eyes and his face. There's some damage, to, like some injuries to the back of his head. But the most kind of interesting thing I think is on his arm, it does look like defensive Wait. wounds. Like, I don't know if it, like I don't know if it looks like almost. yeah I was gonna say I don't know if it looks like especially bites but like if someone said Weird he was cuts. stabbed or something in his arm like they don't look particularly deep either like yeah like I don't know it's hard it's, to explain because they don't really look like stabs they look like punctures kind of some are like rips more um I just I don't know from being hit by a car how he yes, would have got those injuries like. It does, like, just off the top of my head, looking, there's probably 20 marks on his arm. Like, it's not like one or two scratches where if something, you know, dragged over him, it's, there's a lot of smallish puncture looking type But even when I was reading along and I only knew, like, the original kind of skewed story, I was like, these injuries don't seem like being hit by a car at all. And not, eventually they start saying, like, she ran him over. Like, wouldn't he have more broken bones and, like, internal issues if he was literally run over by a car yeah even the head injuries and stuff i get that he could have fallen but like his face is super swollen he has cuts all over i just feel like it doesn't seem like someone who got hit by a car that wasn't moving very fast no and even when you look at the arm wounds there is kind of a cluster where you'd think maybe if a dog was attacking him and he was kind of pulling his way his arm you know away yeah that could explain some of what happened um i don't know they're interesting photos anyway so i'll put some of them on the blog if you want to have a look at them despite kind of these injuries the da did write in the autopsy report that there was no signs of an altercation or fight um karen's attorneys again rebutted this alan jackson is another one of her attorneys and he said he looked like he'd gone 10 rounds with mike tyson of course, there's evidence that he was in a fight. The back of his hands are deeply bruised. They are called defensive wounds. I don't care what the medical examiner called it. Anyone who's seen any sort of a fight, a street fight, knows that the back of the hands, the back of the arms, get the brunt of the punches as you cover your face. Of course, there were signs of a fight, not just a fight, a brutal fight. I feel like the bruising on the back of his hands doesn't look like I feel like that could be explained by being run over, but then I, I don't know how bruising works as such. Once how long he? I guess if he laid there for a little while and didn't pass away, the bruises would develop. I don't know how that works post death because they're kind of small. Like I just feel like if you got run over by a car, you'd have way more scrapes, bigger bruises. Like your yeah. bones might be broken. Like yeah, I do agree about the. There's I haven't read that there was any broken bones. Um, Me neither. So you think that would be a. It seems yeah. like he just has head trauma, cuts on his arms, and bruising on his arms and hands. Yeah. 
So we've also since learned some information about Karen's behavior on the morning of John's death. Kaylee, who was the niece, said that she was woken up by Karen at 4.30 a.m. She said Kaylee, um, Kaylee said that Karen was screaming and acting frantic, and Kaylee also told police that Karen changed her story several times. She apparently told Kaylee that she'd gotten into an argument with John and that had she'd dropped him off. Um, but then Karen's attorney, David Yannetti, spoke about this in a slightly different you know, way. He said at 4.30 in the morning, my client is placing multiple calls to the victim. In this case, her boyfriend wondering where he is, why he hasn't come home and getting annoyed with him, (laughs) getting annoyed with him because his niece of whom he was a guardian had to go to bed without saying goodnight to him. So it seems weird. Like, I guess we obviously know that Karen was drunk, but why would you get home, wake up Kaylee and then be pissed off at John because he she was already asleep. Like they could have dealt with all this later when he got home. It just seems like- Maybe she just, I don't know if she woke up up Kaylee on purpose or if she was being loud and frantic and that woke yeah. Kaylee up is how I read it. Well, yeah, it does say she was woken up by her screaming and acting frantic. So I guess, you know, obviously alcohol can be the catalyst for a lot of this way that she was acting, but it's interesting. I feel like Kaylee um, maybe wasn't that fond of Karen just from what I'm, I was know, wondering that too. Yeah. But I just feel like she was probably drunk has like a foggy memory of what happened and if i obviously we've said this before you don't think someone's dead as your first thing you just think that they're drunk somewhere ignoring you and you're pissed off because you're worried about them and but usually they're fine so you're just gonna be mad like i feel like that's what was going on so on wednesday may 3rd so literally yesterday karen's attorneys accused the prosecution of withholding evidence from them They said they've been requesting access to John's clothes, forensic evidence from the car and samples from his autopsy and they've been denied. They also said that Karen has lost everything. She's no longer employed and she and her family are spending all their money on legal fees. Her attorneys asked the judge to set a deadline to secure that evidence. David Unetti again said she's hired private counsel from two coasts, which I don't know why, I guess... I don't know why she had to do it from two coasts, but anyway, she has. She's hired multiple experts at considerable costs. And when I say considerable, I mean tens and tens of thousands of dollars. And the media is running with each passing court date. She can't afford to scrimp on her defense because her life is at stake. So the prosecution have said that lab analysis isn't complete on certain items, but they expect it to be finalized soon. So a lot of this back and forth between the defense is apparently because the items aren't ready. Um, Seems like an excuse to me i don't know it's interesting it seems but. like everyone both sides or mainly like the prosecution and the judge and all of them have like way too much pride and ego and nobody actually cares about getting to the bottom of this case and solving it like more people just worried right and worried about protecting themselves i think too yeah yeah So in terms of theories, that's kind of it up to now. Karen is due back in court or the case is due back in court on May 25th. So that will be after this episode is aired. So we will definitely keep you updated on what happens. Like this is obviously all pre-trial. The trial seems like it's going to be a bit of a circus, but it hasn't happened yet. In terms of this case, I feel like there are two main theories. The first one, which I feel like is pretty self-explanatory, is that Karen did it, either doesn't remember or is covering up that she did it. Maybe they had an argument. She purposely ran him over and is pretending that she doesn't remember. Maybe she really doesn't remember and it was an accident. Um, I feel like we've covered that theory pretty well with what is available at the moment. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything else to add on that one? No, just I don't think it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other theory that is online and everyone is like, can you cover? Can you cover the cover up O'Keefe case? Um, is that basically something happened 
inside the house or it could have been outside of the house, I guess, but at the after party venue that night and that John died and was dumped outside. So as we mentioned, the main kind of scenario being floated is that John got into a fight at the house, Chloe the dog attacked him. The defense are arguing that Brian and Jennifer are involved. We have seen some online comments that say Brian's 18-year-old nephew was at the house that night. So I guess this is where the underage drinking might come in. We won't name him because he hasn't been named in court documents. His name is online everywhere if you want to go and have a look. But the nephew apparently lived a few doors down from John and the two had a bit of a documented beef going on. They didn't get along at all. I've heard Apparently this kid's just like a dick because his family is like all high-level police officers. He doesn't get in trouble for anything ever. He's like a Reminds me a bit of Murdoch's a little bit. Yeah. He can get away with whatever he wants. So there's photos of him online. He's sitting there drinking a beer, sticking his finger up. Like he just seems like a little jerk really mm-hmm. um there was even a picture online at some point of the nephew and i believe the nephew's dad having a beer on john's lawn at some point when john was away it was like kind of a fuck you look what we're doing to, when you're not at your house yeah interestingly a few days after john died the nephew posted an image on social media that showed he had grazed knuckles um like you can actually see them very clearly it looks They're like cracked open yeah um so i'm guessing people are insinuating that would have probably happened from a fist fight very well could have we don't know um and also that this is all being covered up because as we mentioned the albert family are very connected to law enforcement um kevin albert is another family member he's a canton police officer brian albert's the police sergeant there's just a lot of all these people run in the same circles so people at the party were all you know politically involved involved in the police force so it seems like they possibly could be involved in a cover-up Yeah, the theory that I saw people saying online was that John got there, walked in. As soon as he walked in, this kid might have mouthed off or something. They got into like a fight immediately. Yeah. And maybe he was like thrown down the stairs. Maybe the dog got involved. And then they just just beat the shit out of him and threw him outside. And when we mention things like rumors, you know, that we don't really want to get too much into, but I've read things online, for example, that people who lived across the road should have had cctv like ring cameras that was never subpoenaed so now that's probably that gone was also in the police yeah yeah he was canton deputy police chief tom kelleher lives across yes. the street from brian albert had a ring camera that probably should have picked up something but he told them there was nothing on it and it was never subpoenaed so yeah no one ever checked As we said, we've kind of mainly tried to focus on the facts, tried to only name the people in the court documents. We did go through the defense's recent filing, though we pulled out some interesting things that may warrant some further discussion. The media do seem to be focusing on the how long to die in the cold search um, as their kind of smoking gun, I guess. But I feel like there's way more that is more smoking gun than just that. Mm. So basically that there was another witness who went to pick up his sister and he was the only witness who apparently had no familial ties to the Alberts and then he had no reason to kind of frame Karen. He said that he witnessed Karen drop John off and the police did not see and told police that he did not see any damage to her vehicle, hear any screams or witness her driving her vehicle erratically and that also she was alone in the SUV, which kind of contradicts Brian's story that John never made it into the house, which. Like, I do agree, but then if she did run him over, like, he's not saying as far as I can tell that he saw John going into the house. He just saw Jennifer 
uh, sorry, Karen drop him off. He just didn't see any chaos here, any screaming, see any – he didn't see anything that looked like someone got run over by a car. (laughs) And I feel like running over a a grown man is not an easy thing. Like it would take a while. Like I I also agree. I feel like if he he was there and he did see it, he would have witnessed something happening if if it did happen. Even how Jennifer – this is what annoyed me about the whole thing because if it is a, a cover-up, this is like a big hole in their story also, in my opinion, is Jennifer said she was texting him and she's like looking at the car. She sees the car stopped, is texting him, and then the car just like drives off. There was never any – it doesn't seem like something where there was speed because it would seem like she was pulling off, driving away after she hit him because she would have had to back up to hit him. Like Jennifer never mentioned seeing the car backing up or driving fast or seeming like it ran someone over. Yeah, yeah. It's I agree. I agree. And I think if someone got run over at not a very high rate of speed, they would yell. Like yeah. they might not die right away. They like, would be yelling for help. I could see absolutely if she was driving, you know, sixty miles an hour or whatever, ran him over and just kept going. Yes, but yeah, if she it does, it seems like she pulled in, she reversed, and she left. It's not like it was. Yeah, and then a he high was also found um, twelve where his body was is 12 feet from the road yeah so i don't know it doesn't make sense you would think too let's just say for example she did him with the car he managed to crawl 12 feet where There'd he be passed away and where's the blood like there should be like based on those injuries you think there would be some blood as well i don't know it's just and, well and they said when they found him at like 5 a.m 6 a.m whatever time it was that he was still actively bleeding from like the nose and mouth like and you would think too being out in the cold for five hours that that would stop understand. pretty quickly eventually don't you stop bleeding yeah like i i have no doubt that there would be still a little bit of kind of residual blood that might come out but yeah you wouldn't be profusely or actively bleeding by that stage you wouldn't think uh, but you know unless he did lay there for a whole amount of time and it took him hours to die that c- could be why. and it could just be I always wonder if they're like describing it wrong. Like maybe he had blood on his face and they were like, he was bleeding. Yeah. But it was just like old blood. So another thing that was in the defense's rebuttal to all of this, they said basically Jennifer, when they found the body, she, there was two calls that Jennifer made to her sister, Nicole, like right after the body was found at like six something. And Nicole is Brian, the, the tough guy, police officer's wife, Jennifer's sister. So you could assume that these – and the calls were answered by someone is what they can tell. You would assume she was calling to be like, hey, like, we found John dead in your yard. These calls were then deleted from their phones, which is sketchy enough as it is. But Brian and Nicole, whose house it was, never fucking came outside. <laughs> so, you know, a trained police officer who's probably knows emergency life-saving things maybe, you know, there's a crime scene literally in his own yard – wouldn't you think he'd want to come outside, like in any other situation? I know, like I just feel like you'd be—it'd be your human nature to be like, "What is going on?" You know, you'd go out and see. But yeah, the fact that they stayed inside is interesting. Yeah. So then, right after Jennifer calls them, she then starts googling, "How long does it take to digest food?" Why? Why would she be googling that right now? Is it because he had food at the party, maybe that they could? trace back to them like did they have pizza at the party and they're gonna be like oh there's pizza in his stomach so clearly yeah, he was so, at the party and yeah exactly and then for let's just like obviously this is speculation but let's say something happened and they had a fight at 4 a.m they would know yeah exactly that he'd been there long enough to eat something or that he hadn't been dead since 
12.30 or 12.45. Yeah. It's, yeah, I feel like that, yeah, there's lots of reasons why she could have Googled that, but why else would you need to unless you wanted to know how long it took after someone died? Yeah, so she did that search at 6.23 a.m., so literally, like, while this is all happening, you find your friend dead and you're just going to be like, uh, let me just, like, Google this random thing. <laughs> like, imagine. <laughs> um, so then this was – we brought this up when we were talking before how the prosecution tried to say that Jennifer was actually Googling how long it takes to die in the cold when they were out searching for John with Karen. But really, she just searched those two things again now. And it kind of seems like that would be like an attempt to like cover up that she searched it earlier. Yeah, it's very interesting. That's how they wrote it out. Jennifer McCabe tried to overwrite her incriminating search from earlier that morning regarding how long it takes to die in the cold by re-entering it at a more appropriate time, i.e. after she supposedly finds O'Keefe body, O'Keefe's body in the cold. So. Very weird. Okay, and so this was this was another thing, and this was like a big point to me because I kept being like, okay, I kind of feel like Karen didn't do this, but like what happened with this tail light? Like what's going on? That's weird. Turns out there was surveillance video from her home, Karen's home, showing her backing into John's car slightly on her way to go search for him because one, like we said, she was still kind of drunk. She was probably in a freaking panic. So the defense's filing says... Finally, the fact that law enforcement retrieved pieces of Miss Reed's taillight outside Brian Albert's house during multiple subsequent searches is particularly unsettling, given that a motion-activated ring camera from Mr. O'Keefe's residence shows that the damage to Miss Reed's vehicle actually occurred hours later at 5.07 a.m. on January 29, 2022, when she left the residence to begin her frantic search for Mr. O'Keefe, long after he was already dead. Video surveillance captured at 5.07 on January 29, 2022, shows Miss Reed reversed her Lexus SUV out of Mr. O'Keefe's parking garage such that the right rear taillight of her vehicle struck Mr. O'Keefe's Chevy Traverse. As shown in the attached video, video surveillance clearly shows Miss Reed's vehicle striking the Chevy Traverse at 18 seconds, causing the Traverse to jostle back and forth. As Miss Reed drives out of frame from left to right, a flash of the white tail bulb is clearly visible through what is an obvious crack in the red taillight lens. It's undisputed that after the Lexus struck the Chevy, it never went back to the scene at Brian Albert's house. It did, however, go into police custody before the police miraculously started finding pieces of the taillight at 34 Fairview Road. It goes on to say at some point that they falsified or altered the police report and they said that her car was picked up at like 5.30 p.m. or something and taken into police custody. But according to surveillance video, it was picked up at like 4.12, I think it was. And then so the pieces of the plastic from the taillight, they weren't found at like 6 in the morning. They weren't found like in the initial search of the area. They were found later that night in like a second random search, <laughs> like after 5 p.m., after they had her car in police custody. So it seems like they could have easily planted that there on the scene. Cause and I know it was snowing that night, but looking at the pictures and it's been said by the defense as well, there really wasn't that much snow. There wasn't feet of snow. There wasn't even enough snow to like cover his body really. It was a couple inches. That's interesting because then I read other articles that say it was blizzard like. So well it could have just been windy. 
Yeah, true. Like, when I you just live- feel like there's so much conflict and information for I know, like, what depending on who's t- depending on who's telling the story. No, that picture even um, like further up in our notes, like it's not that much snow. I yeah. think that in Boston they get like they get whiteout conditions a lot just because they're like on the water, so it's way more wind blowing. Because when the wind starts blowing the snow, that's what causes the whiteout. Like there's a photo I'll put it on the blog, and you can see the fire hydrant that we spoke about. The fire it's probably up a few inches from the bottom of the fire hydrant. So it's not like the fire hydrant is covered in snow or anything like that. Like there's a light dusting on the top. There's cars that have kind of – If there was a body, you would see it. That's why I'm like – they're all like, we couldn't see it. There's a small bush there. Like the bush isn't covered. (laughs) So I'm assuming that he would have been just as noticeable as this bush. Because one of their things like of pushing the story onto Karen in their interviews is being like nobody could see the body because of the conditions. Like it was covered in the snow. But somehow Karen saw the body like as if she knew it was there. It was like, bitch, there's three inches of snow. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, there's honestly there's so many little things like that like we said there's a lot of good write-ups online about it um but i felt like those were kind of like the biggest ones to pull out of it biggest smoking gun type evidence things and i'm like i never believe like a cover-up story or conspiracies or anything but this is the one time where i was like damn like i actually think karen's innocent see i am like i said you'll be popular because i feel like we always give the unpopular opinion generally and we generally always agree but I don't know in this case like I wouldn't be surprised either way I wouldn't be surprised if it was Karen but then I also wouldn't be surprised if there was a cover-up there does seem to be a lot of information pointing to it maybe being a cover-up but I'm still not 100% convinced I don't know it just seems like I don't know like I guess they could have taken the opportunity to plant the tail out once they realized she actually had damaged it herself just seems like a lot but you know Stranger things have absolutely happened. So I'm probably, I probably am leaning slightly towards more it being a cover up than I am it being Karen at this point. Even if it wasn't like a cover up, the original story makes no sense. No. In my opinion. Like, I don't think, I don't think she ran him over. We um, asked on Instagram too what people had thought. So these are some of the opinions from people that we asked what they thought. I don't think she killed him. I think she was drunk and made herself think she did it. Um, so this one's interesting. I've never heard of it. Sounds like they don't have a ton of evidence, which I also agree. Um, people coming out of the after party panicked and just left him. Honestly, it could be all of them. She hit him, knocked him out, and he got attacked by the dog. I don't think a dog is going to attack someone lying, dying on the ground generally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, German shepherds are like very protective of their owner and their family, where if they yeah. feel like there's a threat, they'll attack. That was always the problem with the German shepherds I had growing up. I think that this could be along the lines of what happened. Everyone was probably drunk, an accident happened or an altercation happened, and instead of calling 911, they tried to cover it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone said, we live close by and we refer to it as the Canton cover-up or the Murdochs of Canton. <laughs> That's literally what it is. <laughs> um, someone wrote, Massachusetts native here, 100% police cover-up. We have a history of corrupt cops. A few people have said she killed him. Um, but I would say 90% are saying it's a cover-up. Yeah, I don't think she was, like, involved at all, which is, like, insane. Whether it's true in this situation or not, it just – and I know there's cases now where people who were arrested for crimes and then were found guilty are now being found innocent since there's more ways to 
prove evidence, DNA, all that. But could you imagine like really not doing this, not being involved at all, that your loved one is killed and you're like arrested for it? The thing in this case, there is likely to be one of these people really didn't do it. Like someone did right. They think it was Karen working with the people at the party to kill him. I think that's a bit far-fetched. I don't think so. I think it's either going to be one or the other. Um, one comment that is interesting is they wrote, she hit him. The defense wrote, won't respond to the DA about the DNA on the hair stuck in the taillight. So I feel like that has happened a little bit. The defense are, well, I'm, uh, I'm sure any legal side would kind of pick and choose what they want to respond to and reply to or request more information on. But at this point, from the defense's point of view, if you already think that they're messing with the evidence and that they did impound her car then take pieces of the car and plant out the crime scene i wouldn't be surprised if like that night they're like oh let's take a little bit of like john's hair or something to, to plant somewhere like at this point i wouldn't trust anything yeah yeah and especially too and i guess they are kind of all also insinuating that there was a cover-up in terms of the autopsy so people had access to john's body it's not unreasonable to think hey let, yeah let's grab some hair and put it there to make it seem more and normally Plausible. I would never say something like that. Like, how insane does that sound? <laughs> I don't know. This one, it's like, it's crazy. But I do think, how could this go to trial? There's no way that they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Karen did this, I don't think. I'm surprised she was indicted by the grand jury. Like, I don't understand. But maybe they didn't know all of this But still, would there the even be enough to, enough to indict her anyway? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. It just seems know. like there's not a whole lot. Yeah, at the start, there like wasn't a lot of evidence. Mm. I don't know. It's it's wild. It's scary. So I know it is confusing. It is messy. There's a lot of back and forth. Let us know what you guys think anyway regarding what happened in this case. Obviously, we will probably hear more as the trial progresses, if a trial progresses. Um, but, yeah, back in court in about three weeks. So we'll let you know what happens with that. John's family have released a statement. They said, we were so fortunate to have him as part of our lives. When John's sister passed away and then her husband did as well a short time later, John welcomed the opportunity to raise his beloved niece and nephew and build a home and a life around their needs. People talk about someone who would give you the shirt off their back, but that was truly who John was and it is heartbreaking for us to suddenly be talking about him in the past tense. So I hope the kids are doing okay. That's a big adjustment for them, a lot of grief and tragedy to deal with in their short lives. Yeah, it's the poor family. It's just horrible. And now and on top of like all the deaths, just dealing with all this drama of wanting to get justice for your loved one. Yeah. All right. So that's really it for this case. There's honestly tons more that you can read about this case online. We'll link like the blogs and all of our sources and everything on our website at truecrimesocietyblog.com. So if you want to really do a deep dive. But we just kind of – these were like the big – points and like the main points of the story so if you want to go do your research dive into all that local gossip and all the internet investigators work that is on you you can dive right in <laughs> um so yeah truecrimestudyblog.com will point you in the right direction follow us on instagram we will continue to post about this now that we know more about it that's True Crime Society on Instagram. We're just always posting there. Follow our personal accounts. Mine's Steph Sum underscore. Olivia's TCS Olivia. Um, if you're listening on Spotify, make sure you're following us and leave us a little comment in response to this episode. If you go look at there's usually a little question like, what did you think of this episode? Um, so tell us what you guys think. Maybe I'll make a little poll. I'll definitely make a poll because I want to see what people think. 
review, rate, subscribe, wherever else you listen, all that. Share the podcast with your peeps. Share it on Instagram. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week as long as... Oh, no. I was going to say as long as I don't die at my bachelorette, but I think I have one. we've got one more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So stay safe out there, everyone. Peace out. Yeah.